Open your Bibles with me to Psalm 34. Psalm 34. Let's just take a few minutes and finish up my introduction to this subject. If we can. Do you remember the three verses from first service? Psalm, I mean Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 15. All the days of the afflicted are evil, but he that is of a merry heart hath a continual feast. Then Habakkuk chapter 3, the last three verses of that minor prophet, that though there might be terrible circumstances, you can still join the Lord, and as you join the Lord, He will give you strength. Which we backed up with Psalm 27, verses 13 and 14. But the third passage was Nehemiah 8.10, where Nehemiah told the people after the reading of God's word and the explaining of it to their understanding, don't be sorrowful, don't mourn. Today's a holy day, and the joy of the Lord is your greater strength. It's not fear, it's not dread, it's joy. To be excited about serving the Lord is the greater motivational force and power in a Christian's life. And so, are you happy? It's a choice to be happy. It's a commandment too, but we're going to get to that later. And we're not going to look at that as duty and drudgery. We're just going to realize that's part of God wants you to be happy. God is infinitely happy. He didn't adopt us to punish us. He didn't adopt us to make us hurt. He adopted us to do what you would do if you adopted someone. To show them the best that you could. And He has adopted us to show us His best so that we might be His happy children, walking and delighting in Him all the days of our lives, and then for all of eternity. Psalm 34. Much of this psalm has been explained to you, or you've heard it recently, and Jonathan brought an interesting lesson out of it for all of us. I think we should start at verse 11. Come, ye children, hearken unto me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. This is what fathers should do for children. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Now here is part of the fear of the Lord. This is the worldview of the Lord Jehovah. This is serving the Creator God in life. Verse 12. What man is he that desireth life and loveth many days that he may see good? What is the answer to that rhetorical question? What man is he that desireth life and loveth many days that he may see good? Everybody. That's everybody that's not insane. That's every sane person wants to have those three things. To desire life, to have life a desirable thing. To have a very pleasant, rewarding, satisfying, and fulfilling life. And to have it last a long time. Not to be cut off in youth or middle age. And to have many days that are good in that life. So there's a question formed by the Holy Spirit that is part of our makeup. We want to have a good life. How do we get it? It shows in the Bible by asking the question, then answering the question, that it's appropriate and there's a way to it. Verse 13, keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. So verse 13 is correct your speech habits. Verse 14, depart from evil and do good, seek peace and pursue it. 
Verse 14 tells us to live a righteous life and to be peacemakers in our relationships, things that are taught often here. Then it explains this, The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. Those are the ones that are departing from evil and doing good, in verse 14. And they're no longer using their tongue for evil and their lips for guile. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and His ears are open unto their cry. He is going to bless His children. But, but verse 16 says, The face of the Lord is against them that do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. And that's the opposite of what we want. So in these verses, the question is posed, proposed, how can I have the good life? Then the answer is given. And it's given with sins of speech and sins of our conduct and then explaining that the Lord blesses those who are righteous. This section of Scripture right here in Psalm 34 is picked up and quoted by Peter in 1 Peter uh, chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. He quotes verses 12 through 16 of David. If you looked at Proverbs 15, 13 last night, let's look at it very quickly. Not 15, 15, but 15, 13 this time. These are verses and words of God for us to be happy. He is infinitely happy. When the Bible speaks of God being grieved at heart, He is using language for us to relate to. But nothing has ever happened in the universe that God didn't ordain, allow, plan, and use for His pleasure. Surely the wrath of man shall praise thee. The worst things that happen in life, the Bible says in Psalm 76 and verse 10, Surely the wrath of man shall praise thee. And the remainder of wrath thou shalt restrain. I have done all my pleasure in the earth. Isaiah 46 and verse 10. Our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. Psalm 115, Psalm 135. The book of Job, Elihu teaches very clearly that God is infinitely happy and nothing we do takes away from his happiness. We can't add to him. We can't take away from him. And he wants his children to be happy. His whole scheme is to display his goodness toward us and his wrath and power toward the rest, the fallen angels and fallen mankind. And so that's a wonderful worldview to have that God desires our happiness and our best. And he tells us there in that passage in Psalm 34, the question and the answer. But we're at Proverbs 15, 13. It says, A merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of the heart the spirit is broken. When, when you're broken, you can't, you don't want to do anything. And you be, you know, you become destroyed, and it's wrong. Paul said that he was cast down, but he wasn't destroyed. And so there are times where our spirit may be tending toward being broken. Or as this verse describes, by sorrow of our heart, we're sad about something, we have to go ahead and do it through duty. But while we're doing it through duty, we should be asking the Lord to restore the joy of our salvation, like David did in Psalm 51, and we should be choosing to step up and be thankful for all that He's done for us, and He will restore the merry heart. But a merry heart makes a cheerful countenance. Your face is your countenance and your body language is your countenance. That's how we can tell how happy people are ordinarily. There are, there are a few exceptions, but not ordinarily. 
Ordinarily, it comes through with a shining face, dancing eyes, smile, quick smile, joyful appearance, joyful conversation, up, you know, body language is upbeat, forward, moving, instead of the dragging face, the forlorn look, the dead eyes, the empty mouth. There's no expression of that joy in the heart. And the hands hang down, the shoulders are slumped, and the joy, the energizing force of life is lost because the joy is lost. Lord, help us. So much from a merry heart. Look at chapter 17 and verse 22 on this same subject about a merry heart, and a merry heart's a choice. A loving heart is a choice. Happiness is a choice. Lord, help us make that choice every day. Something's going to happen before this day gets done that's going to try to take away your happiness. And we've got to remember all the, all the things that are good and make the choice that we will be happy anyway. We're the ones that messed this place up. It was once paradise. So remember, to, remember, you blame the right person. You know who that is, don't you? It's you. We messed this place up. God didn't mess it up. He didn't make, he didn't make a mistake or have an accident in creating. We ruined it. Proverbs 17 and verse 22, A merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit drieth the bones. A similar verse to chapter 15 and verse 13, but this is describing some of the psychosomatic effects of being depressed. It affects your body. Being joyful and happy affects your body for the good. It's like a medicine. It lifts the spirit and it lifts the body. It's energizing to your whole circulatory, respiratory system. It lifts you. It can lift you chemically as well and hormonally the happier you are. You know, they, they keep discovering incremental bits of information about how happiness and laughter affect human existence and affect physical bodily health. But we have it in the Bible a long time ago Amen. by written by a man that knew more than any research facility in medicine, and that's Solomon. And Solomon said, A merry heart doeth good like a medicine. So take your medicine, folks. How? Have a merry heart. But a broken spirit dryeth the bones. It has a negative, destructive effect on us and our well-being when we're depressed, sad, discouraged, or hopeless. Much more could be said about that, and I'm not going to go there. Uh, there have been books written about the effect of bitterness and anger and grudges and hate and the lack of forgiveness. If you have that in your heart, it affects your whole being. And, and physical symptoms appear because of what you have in your heart that you can fix by a choice to be merry. Right. And we have plenty of reasons to be merry. Did you enjoy what Aaron had to say? He took a circuitous route getting us there, but starting with Jacob and his sons was a great way to start, and I appreciated that. And with the Lord Jesus Christ as our surety, we should be happy. Amen. Indeed. Look at 18.14. In the book of Proverbs, all these little witty statements of Solomon to convey his observations in life and lessons for our wisdom. 
Proverbs 18.14, the spirit of a man will sustain his infirmity, but a wounded spirit who can bear? Now, because there's a wounded spirit in the second clause, that means the first clause needs to have a positive, upbeat, merry spirit by choice. And a positive spirit, according to this verse, will help a man sustain his infirmity. No matter what might be happening to you, you can make a choice to boldly, courageously face that negative circumstance and defeat it. A spirit can sustain infirmity. You might have something really weighing on you that is painful and destructive, but you can choose. We're spoiled. And some have been spoiled by parents. Some have been spoiled by spouses. Some are just spoiled. And so they don't think of the choice that I can make not to be spoiled, but to gird up my spirit right now and be cheerful and thankful and I'm going to take the step of courage, and the Lord will provide strength following. The, the spirit of a man. The spirit is a powerful thing inside of us. And when that spirit is committed to doing what is right, and to pleasing the Lord, and to being joyful, it can bear us up under very trying circumstances. That is why Paul and Silas could sing in a dungeon at midnight, because their spirit sustained their infirmity. And Paul was usually that way, and David was often that way. David, David encouraged himself in the Lord. What does that mean? He stirred up his spirit to sustain his infirmity because everyone had turned against him in 1 Samuel chapter 30, where that event took place, and that's verse 6. The spirit is very powerful, but if we have a wounded spirit, if we have allowed ourselves to be wounded, and we're beat down, and we're broken, and we just can't do anything right, which is all a choice to think those ridiculous things. Who said them to you? Did God say them to you? Did I say them to you? Well, you preached a hard message on Sunday. Yes, I preached it to 175 people that you could see with your eyes, and many hundreds of other people that you can't see with your eyes. And I trust the Lord by a shotgun approach to hit the ones that need to hear it. I don't have the time to speak to each one of you individually, and I trust that by God's grace you can sort out what applies to you and what doesn't. Ask me. You might not want to on some occasions, and you might on others. But that's the way the Bible, if you read the Bible, you're going to get the same thing. I mean, some chapters in the Bible are just, bam! Lord, how can I ever measure up to that? That's why we just took a little excursion an hour ago to cover the word perfect in Second Chronicles 16 and verse 9. David took an excursion to explain that word better to you. I took a little time to explain that word better to you. That there can be something that God knows full and well is wrong in your life that you don't see as wrong yet, and he can still count you as having a perfect heart. That's the case with Asa. That is comforting. And by putting all of this together, the word of God should not crush us It should correct us, instruct us, and encourage us, and comfort us when we read the whole thing. When we read the accounts of David. Was David God's favorite man in the Bible? Look at the man's life. I love it for that. I love the Lord for that. You know, we don't find Joseph doing very much wrong in the Bible, but we certainly don't find a statement that Joseph was God's favorite. 
can hardly find him worshiping God. He wasn't anything like David in some respects. And just think through everything that you read in the Bible. There's a lot of comfort there. You sinful woman? Well, go find the four women that made it to the genealogy of Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 1 and do a little biographical sketch on them and see who made the cut. That's special. Does God really want us to be happy? There's so much that could be said and it will be said in its time. Let's start at the back of the Bible. I mean, the front of the front of the Bible, excuse me, I don't know what to call it. Let's start at first John. Let's start at first John and see what it says there about God's desire for us to have joy in our lives and to be glad. He's done everything possible. You know, a passage that we won't get to today is Isaiah chapter five, where it says that Israel, or his church of the Old Testament, was his vineyard. And he asks the question, what more, what more could I have done for my vineyard? But when I went to look for grapes on my vines, I got sour grapes, bitter grapes. I was looking for sweet grapes. What more could have been done for my vineyard? Do you know how we should answer that? Nothing more could have been done for us. He has done more than enough for us to give Him sweet grapes that delight Him. And that's being happy with Him as our Father in heaven and rejoicing in His goodness toward us. But Israel complained, and so He destroyed their vineyard. And that He does deal seriously if we are not thankful and happy and glad and excited worshiping Him as His children. 1 John chapter 1. Verse 3, that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. 1 John 1, 3, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Fellowship is friendly companionship, and here God the Father, God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Apostle John are having it all together with the other apostles. And he says in verse 4, and these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. John wrote this epistle, and when you read through it, it's pretty strict. It says, he that committeth sin is of the devil. Now, are you going to be hurt by that? Don't be hurt by it. Learn what it means. Rightly divide it, right, David? That's a pretty tough one, isn't it? 1 John 3 is one of the tough chapters in the Bible, because it says, whosoever sinneth is not of God. Whosoever sinneth is of the devil. But it's meaning as a lifestyle of sin, without repentance, guilt, or grief over it. It's not talking about one sin. It's talking about a lifestyle. So we can find comfort even in that. Because if you read the whole first epistle of John, you know, there are people that get hung up and they want to write me and they want to ask, what does it mean when it says, whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin? Now that sounds like it doesn't need any division. But it needs division because it says, if any man says he doesn't sin, he's a liar and the truth isn't in him in the same epistle. You say, well, why would God write it that way? For skeptics to find the verse that says, those that are born of God do not commit sin and get hung up on an internal contradiction in the Bible. And I say, Amen, Heavenly Father. Thank you for writing your word that way. I'm going to read the whole thing, and then I'm going to put it all together, and I'm going to be comforted by 1 John, all five chapters, because it tells me He wrote these things that my joy may be full even though there are some hard statements in here. But he's saying, 
we apostles have fellowship with Jesus Christ and our fellowship is with God the Father as well. And I want all of you to have that. So starting in 1 John, and we could have gone to Revelation, but I just wanted that verse. We can flip back to Deuteronomy 28 and verse 47 and find out in that terrible law of Moses that God also expected His people to be joyful and happy in serving Him. Deuteronomy 28, and this is just by way of introduction to this subject. Are you happy? Are you happy? We should be. Deuteronomy 28, verse 47. Because thou servest not the Lord thy God with joyfulness and with gladness of heart for the abundance of all things, therefore shalt thou serve thine enemies, which the Lord shall send against thee in hunger and in thirst and in nakedness and in want of all things. And he shall put a yoke of iron upon thy neck until he have destroyed thee. Now that is a pretty ferocious verse. Verse 48 is pretty ferocious and severe with God's judgment when we are not glad and happy for the abundance of all things that He's given us. So, does does verse 48 bother you? I love verse 48. If you don't want to be thankful and glad and happy for everything God's done for you, you deserve verse 48. I deserve verse 48. Is it easy to stay away from and out of verse 48? Easy. Just get glad. How big of an ice cream cone do you need this afternoon to be glad and happy? And to taste and see that the Lord is good. Is that in the Bible? Taste and see that the Lord is good. What flavor do you need? Do you need a sugar cone or a gluten-free cone? What would make you... You know, the Lord's given us so many things, but you know what Aaron talked about is by far the most important. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ, our constant Savior, who will never leave us nor forsake us. And underneath of the everlasting arms and overneath, overhead are the wings of God. He's protecting us like little birdies. And He's a great big mother bird, protecting us. All the different metaphors that the Bible uses to describe God loving us. Look, these verses, rejoice in them. Don't be afraid of verse 48. Stay away from verse 48. Why would you want to get near that verse? of not being thankful for all things. Jump into verse 47. Let's serve the Lord with joyfulness and with gladness of heart for the abundance of all things. That's why we have thanksgivings. That's why the pulpit is open in this church for any man to get up here and thank the Lord. And that's why we did what we did just a few minutes ago. We want to be thankful for the abundance of all things. That's why our thanksgivings in our public prayers include that thanksgiving, so that the Lord sees us in verse 47. What I'm trying to show you right now is whether it's 1 John chapter 1 or Deuteronomy 28 or verses in between, the Lord wants us to be happy and glad. He's given it. What did they have? Would somebody tell me anything Israel had that you would want? That's terrible. Somebody in here wants a do and live covenant. They're mocking the Old Testament. And I enjoy it. We have a live and do. Because He's done for us. Speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. What did they have? In things natural or spiritual. Their relationship with God was so distant. When He came down on Mount Sinai, there's a rope set up. They couldn't get near it. If any beast, if your puppy dog crossed that rope, you had to thrust it through with darts. Even Moses exceedingly feared and quaked. It was just a terrible religion. 
but he still wanted everybody to be thankful and excited because did they get a few good things when they got in the land of Canaan? Oh, yes. They took 70 cities of the Canaanite nations and took them as their own. The walls were built, the wells were dug, the vineyards planted and mature, and the houses all furnished with good things. They had an abundance. But there were no microwaves, and there were no washing machines, and there was nothing in that nation compared to what we have every day of our lives. Did you see how spoiled we were as soon as we lost power for just a little bit this morning? I mean, inside, what we're starting to think of is ridiculous. You know, it's going to get so hot in here in a few minutes, it's going to be 100 degrees, and we just go off. But you know what? Because we're used to it. We better not take any of these things for granted because he can take away these things. In various ways, the Lord can take them away. Look at Acts chapter 14. I just want to show you, I don't care where you turn in the Bible, you're going to see the goodness of God toward men. I'm talking about reprobate men and saved men. The world, anybody that's an American is blessed. Why were we put in America with the truth? And we could just go on and on how much we've been blessed. This is the Apostle Paul defending himself to idolaters in the city of Lystra. And he says in verse 17, Nevertheless, he left not himself without witness. You idolaters that are worshiping idols... You are doing something wrong because God, the creator God of the universe, did not leave himself without a witness. God has a witness in the earth. And he's going to tell us. Nevertheless, he left not himself without witness. Let me back up. I, I want you to enjoy this passage. You've heard it from me before. Verse 15, sirs, why in the world are you going to worship us apostles? That's ridiculous. Why do you want to worship us? You need to turn from all these vanities of your idolatry and worship the living God. This is verse 15, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein. Stop being idolaters. Stop worshiping us as apostles. Worship God, the living God, not your idol gods. Who in times past, verse 16, God Jehovah in times past suffered That means he permitted or allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. And their own ways were ignorance. Each nation had its own God, its own statue, its own idol, its own totem pole, its own form of worship, child sacrifice, and the rest of their abominations of the heathen. God in times past, Old Testament times, patriarchal times, the 4,000 years before the cross of Calvary, he allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, even during those 4,000 years, He left not himself without witness in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these sayings, scarce restrained they the people that they had not done sacrifice unto them. Even pagans, reprobates, rejects, were filled with food and gladness in, in fruitful seasons. And it was sent by God as a testimony that he existed because how much goodness had their idols ever sent them? None. But he had sent them. The living God, the one that made it all, sends sunshine and rain and things happen from mud and sunshine. My wife will tell you all about it if you want to ask her and give her a few minutes. Do you have any tomatoes this year? Mud and sunshine. He sends it. They have harvests. 
They fill their bellies with a good meal. And it gives gladness to them. It's comforting. Filling our hearts with food and gladness. That's a witness of God's goodness even to the wicked. And He has certainly done it for us. Let's close with this thought. And there's so much more that could and should be said. Go to Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes. Let's try verse 24 just to get us started with this book of philosophy. In God's divine library of 66 books, there is a book of philosophy. The study of the benefit of man, the profit of man, the good of man in life. What is his purpose? What is his goal? What can he achieve? What is life all about? Well, that's the book of Ecclesiastes, and we have it written by Solomon. Here's an example verse. In verse 24, there is nothing better for a man. Ecclesiastes 2.24, there is nothing better for a man than that he should eat and drink and that he should make his soul enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw that it was from the hand of God. Or you could look at chapter 6 and the first couple of verses, and this is the opposite of a man who can't do that. And I don't want any of you to have this evil disease in any way, shape, or form. And we are going to look at a number of manifestations of this evil disease because it's not just an an obsession with saving. There's a whole lot of different ways that it corrupts us and steals our happiness. Ecclesiastes 6, There is an evil which I have seen under the sun, and it is common among men, a man to whom God hath given riches, wealth, and honor, so that he wanteth nothing for his soul of all that he desireth, Yet God giveth him not power to eat thereof, but a stranger eateth it. This is vanity, and it is an evil disease. Savings is only to be for a small part of money. I don't think anyone in here was taught about savings earlier than I was. You can ask me how early. I believe in savings, but it's only for a small part of money. Most money is to be spent, and money not spent is stupid. That's why God gave it to you, was to spend it. Can't you read? Chapter 5, verse 18. Behold that which I have seen. This is, these are observations of Solomon. It is good and comely for one to eat and to drink and to enjoy the good of all his labor that he taketh under the sun all the days of his life, which God giveth him, for it is his portion. Every man also to whom God hath given riches and wealth and hath given him power to eat thereof and to take his portion and to rejoice in his labor, this is the gift of God. God wants to make us happy and we can really mess things up by getting twisted out of shape. The only way that you can experience Ecclesiastes 5, 18 and 19 is to spend. You can't fulfill 5, 18 and 19 saving. You have to spend. The saver is in chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. And I'm talking about saving beyond a small portion of your income. Look at chapter 9. Chapter 9, this is where I was headed. Verse 7, Go thy way, Ecclesiastes 9, 7, Go thy way, eat thy bread with joy. Eat thy bread with joy. Whatever you have to eat the rest of this day, eat it with joy. Drink thy wine with a merry heart. I like this verse, the way it's worded, in conjunction with that first couple of clauses, because wine is supposed to make the heart merry, but the instruction here is to get your heart merry before you drink the wine. Go thy way, eat thy bread with joy, and drink thy wine with a merry heart. 
For God now accepteth thy works. That's where the merry comes, the merriment comes from. Let thy garments be always white. Let thy head lack no ointment. There's no sorrow or mourning in these two verses. Live joyfully. That is a commandment. Live joyfully. Live joyfully. With the wife whom thou lovest all the days of the life of thy vanity, which he hath given thee unto the Son all the days of thy vanity. For that is thy portion in this life and in thy labor which thou takest unto the Son. This will be one of our remedies. A happy marriage. God is not enough. God was not enough for Adam. God is not enough for you. God gave marriage to fulfill a person in a way that God cannot fully fulfill. Live joyfully with thy wife, the wife of whom thou lovest. Verse 10, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, whatever profession you men have, whatever I have with you, do it with thy might. For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave, whither thou goest. Work is a good thing. And we want to do it with our might, and we want to do it realizing that it's going to end when we can't do it. When you talk to an older man and he can no longer go and do what he once did, it's discouraging to hear that beaten down. Those beaten down words coming out of a man that he can't go do what he once did because he, he loved that ability to perform, produce, make something, make something good, make something better, make it faster than others. It goes away. I haven't read the studies, only seen hints of them, and some experience in my own life that one of the most detrimental things a man can do for his health is to retire. Because he loses his purpose. It's, it's also seen in socialistic states where men don't work like they should. It shortens lifespan. Russia's an example. Russia has a lifespan, lifespan much shorter than the United States because we have reward for our labor here. They don't. Why get up and go to work? So their wives do it for them, and they stay home. The women work hard in Russia, but the men don't. The Lord wants us to be happy. Right. And I'm not talking, this is no psycho babble. I'm not preaching Joel Osteen's junk. We're, we're basing ours on a foundation of Almighty God electing us to grace and choosing us by adoption to be His children. And we look at the whole counsel of God throughout the pages of Scripture, whether it's Old Testament, New Testament, and He is happy and He wants us happy. That's why He saved us, for us to enjoy life. Life is not a curse. And if you say to me, but we messed it up, yes, and He saved us from the mess up. So where do you want to go next? What's your next point to justify your unhappiness? Don't go there. I am going to be prepared to answer your objections. Let's, let's rejoice in what He's done for us. Let her be as the loving hind in pleasant row. Let her breast satisfy thee at all times, and be thou ravished always with her love. Does ravished sound kind of happy? Mm-hmm. Pretty happy, yes. Lord, my brethren, happiness is invigorating power. Duty by itself is drudgery. David danced with all his might, not because it was a duty, because it wasn't. And no one else did it because everyone else settles for duty or less than duty. Are you with me? Everyone else settles for duty or less than duty. David annihilated duty. By having love and delight and happiness in God, unlike any other that we read about in the pages of the Bible. And that's what made him dance with all his might. 
and caused him to pay for Solomon's temple. Both terror and delight motivate, but delight is a much better motivator. There's a time to mourn, or there's a time to dance, but there are exceptions to mourn. Christians should be the happiest people on earth. If not, it's their fault. If not, it's a sorry disgrace because he's done so much for us. Christians should have plenty of joy to give since God's given us so much. We should want to be givers to others as he was a giver to us and Jesus did teach us that. As we have opportunity, therefore, let us do good unto all men. Who can you make happy today? Before this day is over, God has made us happy. We've had a happy day in the house of the Lord. We should have. Well, I have. Noah's asleep, and that's... <laughs> Who can we make happy before the day's over? It's exciting. It's more blessed to give than to receive. There'll be more on this subject, and you could probably pick up a few hints... And one brother asked me if I was speaking about Big O Dodge, but I wasn't earlier today. (laughs) A favorite verse for many, and a favorite verse of mine for many years was Psalm 37, verse 4. Delight thyself also in the Lord. I don't even need the second half of the verse. And Jonah Unger, Jonah, thank you for getting up in front of of singing camp and a hundred souls and telling them that the second half of that verse isn't all that important. What counts is delighting in the Lord and how that changes a life. It changes what we, the desires of our heart. And we may find out that we already have them. Think back to when you were most in love with another person, the energizing euphoria you had. That is what happiness in the Lord and gladness and joy in Him can give each one of us. Think back to when you got an unexpected promotion or raise the energizing euphoria that it gave you, we can trump any one of those things. Personal relationship, God trumps it. Jesus Christ trumps it over anyone we've ever met. He has in store for us eternal heaven and all of its riches. How does that compare to some little 10% raise you got on the job that you weren't expecting? The Lord Jehovah not only deserves happy children, He expects them, and He rewards accordingly. I've put together a ton of material on this subject. Pray for me that I can pull it together for you in a, in a summarized format that will be profitable. He's our sovereign and he deserves it. Nehemiah knew that to be sad in the presence of Artaxerxes was a capital crime that could take his life. We should think that way about the Lord. And I don't even have to think that way, but I, and you shouldn't have to think that way. He's done so many positive good things for us. Why do we even need to resort to fear or intimidation at all? Because we know that as a, as a foundation that he is the creator God and we will give an account of our lives before him. But look what he's built on top of that for our lives through Jesus Christ. My wife has tried to help in this matter with her overwhelmed study of the last two women's meetings. I'm going to try to be positive in this presentation that's coming. But there are corrections that we need to make to realize the benefits. Don't wait for others to make you happy. This is my final little secret. You know, it's all in God's Word, so there's nothing secret about it. Don't wait for others to make you happy. Don't wait for others to give to you. It's not going to happen. Give to others. Make them happy. 
like in the beginning you did in any relationship that, like a marriage or courting or dating, like you did with the Lord, why it's called first love. Give, do for him. Give, do for another. It'll give you more joy and more happiness than if somebody was to dedicate their life to your pleasure. It's the word of God, and I've proven it by experience over many years in a very selfish life. And I exhort you all to put it into practice. It is more blessed to give than to receive. May the Lord bless us to believe it, know it, and do it like Jesus did it for us. Amen. Amen.